the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. Welcome to the Larry Rosenthal Show. Today on the program, we have a special treat. We're going back through some of the calls that we've had over the previous months and years here with your questions when you called into the radio program. And we're going to start off right off the bat here with a phone call from... Bill, Bill is calling us from Fairfax. I have a question about renting versus buying. I'm an older guy, I'm 57. I've just retired from the federal government after living overseas for 26 years. And during that time, we didn't have any housing costs, but we saved our money. So we have a substantial cash position. But the intent of which was to buy a house eventually. But we're only going to be in this area probably another, I don't know, 6 to 10 years. And so our family size is changing. Our daughter has just gone off to college. Our son is getting ready to go to college next year. And I don't need to tap into that housing money that I've saved to send the kids to college. That's taken care of. But I'm just not entirely sure whether I should rent or buy. We're renting right now while we make this decision and get settled. Bill, all the reasons that you just listed out are reasons to continue to rent and reasons to buy. I had this conversation, actually, coincidentally enough, with a client of mine earlier this week. She's wanting to sell and then rent. She's a little bit older than you, but that's what she's wanting to do. So the risk on buying now in this area, as you say, and wanting to move out six to ten years from now is that the real estate values will go down or that the money you've pumped into this house, you won't get back out. That's the real risk that you're wrestling around with. On the other hand, what happens if the values go up? So it really depends on what we would call the opportunity cost of what you're going to be doing with your dollars. Right now, yes, you are throwing away rental income, and you have no tax deduction associated with that, but you're also not paying anybody interest either, right? You also don't have to deal with property taxes. You also don't have to deal with all the maintenance cost of a rental type of a property. But yet at the same time, if your investments are growing, you know, think about this. Let's suppose you're going to put down money on a house, okay, and the property value doesn't go up before you sell it. Versus now, if you would have rented, you would have had more money in the marketplace growing for yourself at compound interest, right? Or if you put money into the house and the house goes down, what happens if you put money into the house and the house goes up? 
where are your dollars invested now? If your dollars are just sitting in the bank, then you're effectively getting a negative rate of return once you talk about inflation and taxes because the interest rates are so low in the bank. So those are lazy right. dollars that need to be employed one way or the other. So it's a very right. interesting conversation with you and your wife. Sit down with your advisor and run it out in a financial plan and take a good, strong look at it all. There's really nothing wrong with both ways. Ultimately, when you get down the road and you fully retire wherever you want to be, you want to have what I would call rent control in your situation, which means get a home, get it paid for so nobody can sit there in your 60s and your 70s and your 80s and keep jacking up your rent. Do you see what I mean? That's one way to look at it. Yeah, that's another way to take a look at it as well. So your math formula on this whole thing, Bill, is really – opportunity cost, what to do with the dollars if you buy or if you rent. That's the math that you really need to play out. Right. How do I make that risk calculus with either scenario? How can I do the research? Like, how can I look into a crystal ball, as it were, and see what real estate prices might do versus what the stock market might do? Is there a resource for looking at that kind of thing? You can read the tea leaves of the economy, but nobody can predict what the markets are going to do. Nobody can also predict what the real estate market's going to do either. You know, you could be in a booming real estate market, and then something could happen, God forbid, in that area and destroy the real estate market. You know, I mean, there's just all kinds of things that can go on with all of that. There's risk in buying the property, and there's risk in not buying the property, too, and that's the opportunity cost of the dollars that you're talking about not employing into real estate or just keeping growing in the marketplace. But basically, you can graph it out a couple of different ways. Draw a graph out of the property staying the same, going down, going up. Take a look at the real estate taxes. Take a look at cost of home ownership versus benefits of renting and continuing to invest more dollars for yourself and then flip the formula around. I've got an advisor in my office that is good at that. She's very good at that kind of stuff, quick on the draw with a calculator. If you want, I'll have her give you a ring and step you through some formulas and stuff to take a look at it, okay? Oh, that would be excellent. Thank you. Yep, let me place you on hold, and Bob will get your contact information, and we'll have Dina give you a ring next week. Thanks for the phone call. We're going to go ahead and bring on Catherine, who's calling us now. Also from Maryland, Catherine. I'll be 69 this year, and I have an annuity, but I want to know how long can I pay into this annuity. Catherine, is the annuity an IRA annuity or a non-IRA annuity? It's an IRA. So you can only put money into an IRA as long as you have earned income, and once you're over 70 and a half, you can no longer contribute to an IRA. So it sounds like you have about a year left okay, in order so to I contribute as long as you're working. Yes. Well, I'm not working. I'm in retirement now. Yeah, you need to have earned income when you put the money into an IRA. Are you married? No. Okay. Then you're not going to be eligible to put money into that. If you like the annuity as your investment vehicle and you said, hey, you know what, I want to put more money into an annuity, you can. It would just be what's called a non-IRA annuity or a non-qualified annuity. So you can put money into that investment vehicle of choice. It Uh just wouldn't be an IRA. Now, if you stop and take a look at it, the money that you're putting into the IRA, it's tax deductible. Now, if you put money into a non-IRA and choose an annuity vehicle, so you just go open up the same annuity that you have, but it's not an IRA contribution. So now you have two of them. 
Once the money goes in there, Catherine, it grows tax-deferred because the annuity vehicle allows your money inside of it to grow tax-deferred for you, meaning that while it's growing, there are no taxes. And another advantage there is you can move money around inside the annuity from different investment sub-accounts and not have to pay capital gains taxes. So it's all going to grow tax-deferred for you. The only difference is when it comes out down the road, you pay your taxes on your gain. So if you like the idea of the annuity being your investment vehicle and you want to contribute to it, you can do that, but it just won't be deemed an IRA contribution. So you just open up another account. If I'm ready to draw it out at 70 and a half, how would I know if I'll have enough money to last me into my older age? So, Catherine, in the annuity contract, you should have – there should be some literature for you as to the type of withdrawal program you're allowed to take on the annuity, whether it's a lifetime withdrawal, it's a variable withdrawal, it's a withdrawal income stream that still allows you to have ownership of all the cash. So if you ever needed to reach in and pull a lump sum out, you can do so, or if you're going to annuitize the contract. So you have to look at the annuity contract itself to answer that question. I can have someone give you a call and step you through how to go about doing that for yourself if you like. Um, okay. I'll call your office on Monday. Yeah, that's very important to really understand the type of income stream you're going to have. And a lot of annuities now, if you've purchased this annuity, let's say within the last 10 years or so, you could have some of these what they call income-protected riders on them that no matter what happens in the marketplace or what happens in the account values of the annuity, it'll continue to pay you out for life. You need to understand the rules of engagement with those. In other words, if you withdraw too much in one given year, you could hurt the guarantees of it down the road further. So make sure that you understand what the rules are, the parameters of withdrawals that you're allowed to take out each year. And then that annuity will probably just keep on paying for you for a long time to come as long as you stay within those parameters for yourself. All right? Okay. Would that include that 5% that they give you for inflation? Well, if you have a 5% uh, rider on the annuity, it could be a 5% future growth of future income protection down the road, that could be what you're talking about. There's all different kinds of ones out there. It's almost like splitting hairs. One annuity company has something that's very similar to another annuity company, but it's slightly different. And so before I tell you the way it is, I need to find out what type of contract you have, and I need to read through it just a little bit. Just take me five or ten minutes or so. But that's what you have to understand is the ultimate answer to your question is what are the rules for that particular annuity contract you have, and then sit down and we'll figure out how to maximize the income for yourself. That sounds great. Bill's on the line with us from Maryland. Bill, what's your question for Larry? I have a couple companies calling me. To reduce my credit card debt, and they want me to stop payment on my credit cards. I think it's for three months, and then... Making Money Sense is on the air. And it is time for the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense, and we are on the air, and we are grateful for that fact here this morning. I mean... <laughs> We had a little bit of a technical difficulty. The, the uh, wonderful power decided to go south of the border here for us. you got to hate it when that happens. Yeah, well, exactly. And, you know, you do what you do, and you're back on the air, and we do the best we can. So thanks to the power company, it gives you some gratitude for 
electrical power today. I, I could have eaten another cheesecake bite. <laughs> you could have, and you brought some cheesecake bites in the studio today, and I unfortunately have indulged. It's not good for me, but boy, they taste good. You so. know, I just, I, I could not walk past the peppermint bark Oreos, and and, and so after... <laughs> Partaking in those, I saw the cheesecake bites. I'm like, you know what? It's it's almost holiday season. This is when we eat a few sweets, so I'll bring some sweets. And it's awesome that you did. Yeah. By the way, hmm. I am not Larry Rosenthal. Hey, I, 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 yeah, I wondered about that. The power came back on, and there was a girl in the studio. What's up with that? It's your lucky it's day. magical. <laughs> Dina, it's, it's good to have you here as always. Awesome We're to see you. excited about today's program. And, of course, before we start, we should really acknowledge the fact that this is Veterans Day weekend. And Absolutely. We do love and do love and appreciate our veterans and all those who have served. Absolutely, we do. Um, I just don't think there is a deeper love that anyone could have than to serve their country and, uh, and do the things that our veterans do for us. So oh, amen to that. God bless them all. Speaking of veterans, did you know that today is also the 243rd birthday of the United States Marine Corps? I did not know that. And now you do. That's fantastic. Yes. So thank you to the Marine Corps. Thank you to all our veterans. God bless you. Amen to that. Amen to that. Listen, if you'd like to dial in and participate today, give thanks to the veterans if you like. We'd love to hear from you. 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. What are we talking about today? Well, it has been a completely uneventful week in the markets and in the United States. I just don't have much to talk about. Oh. Unless you want to talk about the election and what that may mean to your portfolio and your family financial now, plan. Now, come on. You mean elections really matter when it comes to those they kinds can. of things? They can, and the Federal Reserve met this week. So uh, there's some things to talk about. Being, being a little facetious here, it has been a big week mm-hmm. in terms of news, in terms of market moving things. So we're just going to spend uh, our time today talking about those. But first, a little bit of a recap: uh, the Dow was up 2.84 percent for the week. That brings the Dow. Up to up 5.14% for the year. We were doing better than that before the month of October hit, and we had a nice little correction on most major indices during the month of October. The S&P closed the week up 2.13%, so that means the S&P is now up 4% for the year. The NASDAQ had a super wild ride this week. They only ended up two-thirds of a percent, but the NASDAQ is up almost seven and a third so far for this year. Mm. So back in positive territory, we had a lot of people asking questions when the market was was sliding in October. And I'll tell you, that's just not an unusual thing to have happen in a midterm election year. Did not know that. No, not unusual at all. Um, The outcome of the election with Republicans holding control of the Senate and Democrats regaining control of the House, that was not a surprise. That's what uh, broad uh, election and political talking heads told us all along was going to happen. So we really didn't have any surprises coming out of this midterm election. And as is historically the case, the market rallied afterwards. So it's been it's been a decent week for the market. The Fed met this week. They kept interest rates unchanged. But the broad um, the broad consensus seems to be that when they meet right before Christmas, they will raise rates one last time this year for four rate hikes. So those two big things uh, happened this week. Market watchers all want to know, what does it mean? Uh, it, it, it means stay the course. It means 
Make sure your financial plan is up to date. It means make sure that you're in contact with your financial advisor about the potential for rebalancing the portfolio. But neither of those two events are big uh, uh, change your change your course type events. So uh, my two cents worth for for what it's worth. Maybe it's worth a nickel with inflation. <laughs> well, I like the fact that you talked about your two cents worth as well, because it's important to realize that staying the course means you've got a course. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have something in place so that you can stay the course, right? Well, you absolutely do, and that is that is uh, certainly step number one. We always talk about the financial planning toolkit. That is what we give our clients at the very beginning of our of our working relationship to allow that allows them to capture all their financial data in one place. That's the starting point. That's how you gather the necessary ingredients for your financial plan. So if you're listening today and you've never put together an actual written game plan for your family's financial life, give us a call. We'll be happy to send out that financial planning toolkit to you. It costs you nothing, and it gives you a leg up on getting your finances organized. 855-767-3123 is the telephone number to call, 855-ROSE-123. We're taking your calls from anywhere, coast to coast. And see the shining sea. I think that is so amazing. We are indeed here on Sirius 131 Family Talk. We are also streaming from our local station, WAVA 105.1 FM, and we are streaming live at WAVA.com. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear us, you yeah. can hear us. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, just don't forget to call us up for dinner, right? Is that how it goes? Something like that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think you just butchered that. So that I okay. did, but it's fun. All right. All right. All right. So give us a call, 855-767-3123. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more of your calls right here on the Larry Rosenthal Show with Dina Arnett this morning. 855-767-3123. You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Here is Dr. Gary Jones, CEO of Youth for Tomorrow. You know, we started a girls' program in 2003 and you think you've seen it all and you've heard it all until our children walk on campus and they will steal your heart in a moment they'll steal your heart because they come with nothing but hope that's all they come with the FBI calls and says you know we we arrested a sex trafficker last night but we still have the sex traffic victim we know you're the only facility in Virginia that'll take a girl like this do you have room for one more and we say yes if you would like to help go to youthfortomorrow.org a place like Youth for Tomorrow is an oasis in the difficult world that we live in today for these kids. Joe Gibbs founded Youth for Tomorrow because he wanted to give back. If that's how you feel and you would like to help, go to youthfortomorrow.org. That's youthfortomorrow.org. 
You are listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show with Dina Arnett in studio here today. I just thought being Veterans Day weekend, we'd play something that's a little bit more patriotic. You know? I like it. We do love our veterans, and thank you so much for your service. We appreciate that very much. 855-767-3123. We are talking about all things financial. And let's grab Arnita from Bowie. She's on the air with us this morning. Good morning, Arnita. Good morning. How are Hi, you? Arnita. How are you today? Good to hear your voice. Uh-huh. Same here, Dina. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. What's your question today? Well, basically, I just wanted to just say uh, that uh, for the financial toolkit, you taught me a whole lot as far as going with that, and I'm doing a budget every week, and I just want everybody to know how great a financial advisor you really are because you have really taught me a lot in order for me to know where my money is going and telling it where to go, and it really does work. And I just want to thank you so much for your expertise on everything as far as my finances is concerned. Arnita, I couldn't thank you more. Thank you. I, I just appreciate your kind words. I, I appreciate you, and I appreciate you listening to the show. Thank you for kicking us off with such a positive, positive commentary this morning. That just made my day. Oh, you're so very welcome, and you take care of yourself. Take care, Arnita. Talk soon. God bless you, Arnita. Linda's calling us from uh, Gaithersburg. What's your question today for Dina? Yes, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I am calling to inquire about how to go about um, saving for our parents. So we are five siblings, and we do make monthly contributions um, for a rainy day fund for my parents, and we don't know way to put that money okay that's a great question thank you so much linda so as i understand what you've just said you are one of five siblings and and you all have started putting money back for your parents for an emergency fund a rainy day fund yes. that type of thing so yes. a general rule for emergency funds rainy day funds cash reserves those all sort of mean the same thing a, a good rule of thumb is that you want to have three to six months of your committed fixed expenses in a liquid position so that if an emergency arises or an opportunity pops up that you've got cash to cover it. So to the extent that you're still working toward that three to six month figure, I would say you want to keep it safe. You want to keep it in the bank and principal protected products. Uh, We're seeing interest rates on short term uh, certificates of deposit. We're seeing those rates a little bit better than they've been in quite some time. Um, I found a one-year CD at one of the online banks. I think it was 2.5%. I think that's uh, that's a a marked improvement uh, in fixed principal-protected interest rates. Um, uh, From there, once you get past that three- to six-month amount, then you may look into things like bond funds. Um, I want to caution you on bond funds right now because you need to make sure you understand the type of bond fund that you're picking. A lot of bond funds out there are what I call interest rate sensitive, which means that if interest rates go up, those bond funds will lose value. They'll still be getting interest and you'll still be reinvesting the interest to buy more shares, but you're going to be reinvesting that interest into shares that are falling in value. So we don't want a bond fund that is interest rate sensitive right now. We want to be on the other end of the bond spectrum 
and what's called credit sensitive. Those are bank loan funds. That's what the broad category is called. You may see a fund called a senior floating rate fund or a floating rate fund. Those are mutual funds that invest in super short-term loans that banks issue to one another. The upside to those particular types of funds in the environment that we're in right now is that they tend to move with interest rates, not against them. So you'll be getting interest payments. A lot of a lot of these will pay interest on a monthly basis. You'll reinvest those interest payments and the price per share will be increasing in value as well. Now, this isn't like a stock fund. It's not going to move as quickly as a stock fund. It may move a penny Every two or three days. These aren't wildly aggressive, but you do need to know they're not principal protected like the products at the bank. So I want you to make sure you've got at least your three months worth of cash sitting at the bank before you go injecting any sort of risk into your cash reserve strategy. Okay. So um, while while the money is still liquid, um, I'm, I'm trying to figure out where do I put it in my account? Do we open a joint account? Do we open a trust? Um, is this like money? In, in mm-hmm. Is this so money that we, your parents can access whenever they want, or do they have well, to talk to one of you to do it? They would have to talk to one of us. Okay. So you may want to talk with your banker about some sort of custodial account. Um, A joint account may be appropriate if you can be notified before money is removed from the account. I think you all need to discuss as a family how you want to handle distributions because – I'm hearing that you want to maintain some control over how the money is used, but I also want you to be aware that if we go into a period of time where interest rates get kind of high, the interest is going to be taxable to someone. That's going to go on a tax return. So we've got to balance the the need to control the distributions with, hey, who's eventually going to have to pay taxes on the earnings here? Mm Mm-hmm. So you said I should talk to my bank about the custodial account. I would start there. Ask the bank if they have any sort of, of account structure that would allow um, allow for you to maintain control of the account, but also give your parents access um, as long as you are notified. Okay. So I I would think um, we, we would like two siblings to be in control of the account, mm-hmm. two of the five siblings. So is that... Is the custodial account going to work? Um, in that maybe sense? not. Maybe not. You and uh, whoever the two siblings are, you may simply want to have a joint account in sibling name only. And then when your parents need money, you can simply write them a check or do a transfer into their bank account. Okay. All right. Um, thank you. That's helpful. Can I ask a second question? Let me let me throw in one more one more thought on this before your sure. second question. Make sure that you have got some sort of beneficiary or transfer on death set up on that account because for the two siblings that are owning the account, if something happens to one or both of you, we need to know where does that money go at that point? Who's going to be in charge of it? Okay. Sure. Um. Uh. Actually. So um, one of the concerns I've had about opening a joint account is um, if one of the siblings, um, if they run into financial problems and, you know, their wages are garnished, then um, that account is going to be affected. So Absolutely. So that's one of the major concern I have. 
So um, you may want to speak with an attorney about doing some sort of trust for this money. Make sure that it's not in either sibling's actual estate. Um, a, a trust type arrangement may be appropriate. I'm going to tell you uh, for if you're living in Maryland, you're going to want a Maryland attorney and uh, talk to them about what you're trying to do to help your parents and see if they can help figure out the best ownership of this money. Okay. Okay, so next to my second question. Um, so I am a federal uh, employee, and open season is coming around. Um, our parents are 65 and 75, and I'm wondering about if it's a good time to buy long-term care insurance for them. Um, this is a new uh, avenue I'm exploring, so I'm trying to. I'm thinking about it, trying to work the numbers and um, mm-hmm. trying to make sense of it. I will say at 65 and 75 years old, it's going to be a pricey proposition. If I were you, I would meet with a financial advisor and have some numbers run to see if it makes sense to have long-term care insurance for your parents. Um, in in some cases where a, a an individual or a couple could qualify for state aid, it is not recommended that they apply for and pay for long-term care insurance. So there's, there's a whole analysis uh, to be done on that angle as well. I'm happy to run that type of analysis for you if you like. I can put you on hold yes, and have Bob uh, get some contact information for you. Sure, I'll appreciate that. Thank you. Linda, Thanks for the call, Linda. Yeah, God bless you for taking care of your parents. Uh, we so appreciate that. I mean, I know that in today's day and age, there are those that don't, and there are seniors that are lonely and are not able to be taken care of by their by their uh, daughters and sons. And so that's wonderful, Linda. Thank yep. you. Thank you so much for doing that. Absolutely. It's eight five five seven six seven three one two three. If you'd like to talk to Dina, who's in the studio for us today, for Larry Rosenthal on the Larry Rosenthal Show, we're taking your calls from anywhere, coast to coast. Eight five five seven six seven three one two three before the break we were talking about the election we were talking about the federal reserve i want to add just a a little more commentary about the u.s economy in general uh, the things that we are looking at when we pick the investments for our client portfolios when we try to project when the next recession may be some of the things that we look at well one thing we're looking at oil prices and did you know that oil prices are now back in bear market territory. Oil prices fell from their previous peak of $76.41 a barrel all the way down to $60.67. That's about a 21% decline. That's definitely bear market territory. uh, Oil prices reached a four-year high in early October, but they went on this, this wild downward spiral because of uncertainty around economic growth and rising production. Uh, The Trump administration also made a recent decision to issue temporary Iranian oil import sanction waivers, say that real fast, (laughs) to eight countries. And so that shows a rise in U.S. oil inventories, putting downward pressure because we're looking at the possibility of oversupply. So what does that mean for us as less money at the pump, right? Less money at the pump. Absolutely. And we've seen this. We've seen this problem with oil prices for a number of years now. And a lot of it has boiled down to supply and demand. Um, For a while there, we saw the Saudis. They wouldn't cut. They wouldn't cut production. So that 
that kept the supply very, very heavy, brought the prices down. And now we've got some other things uh, uh, putting downward pressure on prices. So short story, you're exactly right. We should see some uh, some momentary relief at the pump. I don't think this is going to be a long-lived situation. So I, enjoy I noticed, it while you can. I noticed that when I was at the pump the other day was – well, actually, quite a while ago, $50 to fill up my tank, and now it's $30 to fill up my tank. It's a big, wide, big range. It is. <laughs> yeah, it's difficult. So anything that they can do to, lab- to stabilize that will be wonderful. So. Yes. And one of the things that we talk about regularly is why is the Fed continuing to raise interest rates? The Federal Reserve has this mandate to keep inflation at 2% to maintain full employment. And on the broad view, we haven't seen a whole ton of of broad inflation. So we've had this back and forth at the office about, okay, so are they going to raise again? And if they are, why? Well, we're seeing some some strength, uh, some strengthening in the labor market. We're seeing um, uh, business investment is moderating, but we're also seeing that consumers are spending their money. We have had... Uh, a couple of, of real wage increases in the past year and a half or so that have been larger real wage increases than we've seen in a long time. The the reason that consumer spending is such a big metric for us to look at is because two-thirds of our GDP, our output as a country, two-thirds of that number is based on what you and I spend mm. at the store. Are we buying cars? Are we buying refrigerators? Are we buying clothing? What are we spending our money on? And what we're seeing right now, we're not really opting for the big ticket items like cars and and uh, and and the like. We are opting for smaller things, services, and experiences. People are taking more vacations. People are getting more massages. Um, people are buying clothes. Mm. But on the automobile Women side, are buying of, shoes, right? Always. Hello. Um, <laughs> So we're seeing this this increase in spending, and an increase in spending can cause inflation. So the Fed's watching that, and they're saying, okay, we're going to stay put for the month of November, but be on notice, we are likely to increase wages again in December. So my question would be, when you're thinking of those big-ticket items, I know that I'm very interest rate sensitive. So if I see that those interest rates are high, I'm not going to look at those big-ticket items as closely because it's going to cost me a lot more money. Bingo. That's exactly what we've got going on. And if we can stack the dominoes and see which ones fall, if I've got interest rates that are going up, I'm absolutely not going to go finance a brand new $50,000 Ford F-150, am I? I'm also going to be very much price sensitive if I'm looking to buy a new house. Yeah, and I've seen those rates come up on the homes. That's Rates on mortgages have come up a full percentage point in the last year. And the writing's on the wall. This is going to continue. What we've got, especially in this area, we've got two competing forces. I've got rising interest rates, which if I'm looking to buy a house, that means I I can't buy quite as much house at a four and three quarters percent rate as I could at three and three quarters. But I'm living in an area where there's not an overabundance of homes to buy. So that keeps the prices up. So somewhere in there, there's going to be an equilibrium that occurs between the price that home buyers are willing and able to pay and the prices that are available in the marketplace. So we are starting to see some some turning of the tide in those bigger ticket items. But consumers, 
they're not stopping. They're still spending. They're just spending on the lesser expensive things. Yeah, but I think also that translates into how much money you're making, too. So if your prices, if your income is coming up, then you're going to be more willing to spend on the bigger ticket items because you've got the money to do so. But you'll be a little bit more sensitive to those those interest rates. Well, we're all absolutely more sensitive on the interest rates. At one point, um, I'm trying to remember what the math was. Forgive me. This was a, a number of years ago. But at one point, a, a mortgage that was at 3%, if it went up to 4%, it was something like an $800 a month difference, it's a big difference. Or, or something like that. Please don't quote me on the math. But the it doesn't sound like a big deal to go from 3 to 4%, but when you calculate the bottom line payment, it's a big deal. Yeah, it is. It's a lot more money and a lot less house in some cases. 855-767-3123 is our phone number if you'd like to talk to our financial and retirement expert here in studio. Deanology, we'd love to have you give us a call. 855 855- Seven six seven three one two three. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Stay tuned. You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at eight five five Rose one two three. That's eight five five seven six seven three one two three. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Remember those kids that you keep your kids away from? Those kids that society doesn't seem to know what to do with? That kid you saw on the street corner last week? Remember that kid that, well, you feel sorry for? The dropout, the pregnant teen, the drug addict. Those are the kids that Youth for Tomorrow wants to reach. And Youth for Tomorrow has reached nearly 800 children since opening its doors in 1986. That's 800 young men and women helped to become responsible and effective members of society. The founder and chairman of Youth for Tomorrow, former Washington Redskins coach and current NASCAR team owner Joe Gibbs, says if we don't do what we can to influence our young people, there are plenty of others who will in the wrong direction. For more information about Youth for Tomorrow, call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. You can help turn a negative into a positive. Call 703-368-7995 or go to youthfortomorrow.org. You're listening to the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense. Dina is in studio with us, our financial and retirement expert. And for Larry Rosenthal, always good to have you here. We'd love to have you on the air. A special salute to our veterans. Uh, I know when I was serving in the uh, Third United States Infantry, I just loved very much the fact that, uh, you know, when the flag went by and all the pomp and circumstance, we were mm-hmm. here in Washington, D.C., it just, you know, it brings a tear to your eye with the patriotism. And I just am so grateful for uh, all of those brothers that served in the military and for the veterans of our of our armed services. Absolutely. I come from a veteran-heavy family. My, my grandfather served. My great-uncle served. My brothers have all served. Um, I did a stint as an Army wife out at Fort Campbell, mm-hmm. Kentucky. Um, uh, I, I just I, I have such a special place in my heart for those who are willing to sacrifice and, and give of their time like that. It is indeed a sacrifice, and it's not just the service member who sacrifices. It's the family, too. So and, thank you to all of them. And it is kind of interesting to think about. There are special benefits and many things that uh, veterans are afforded in the realm of housing and things of those natures. And it's also something that you deal with 
as a financial planner, there are benefits that veterans can use yes. that are, maybe they're not always taking advantage of, like VA mortgages and things of that nature. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, as a former Army wife, as a daughter of a retired sergeant major, I um, I always try to look out for anyone who comes comes my way who is a service member and i and because i've lived that life i'm familiar with the benefits and know how to help you make the most of that and and certainly know how to help you navigate it uh, whether you're facing retirement or whether you're looking at whether to to reenlist for a period of time certainly take uh, note of all of those benefits that are available for you because there are many and you may not be aware of them and a financial planner can definitely help you with that absolutely absolutely so we've been talking today about the federal reserve we've been talking today about the election and i know that there was so much tension in the lead up to this midterm election the market certainly didn't have a good time of it in october and we did a little bit of research at Rosenthal Wealth Management Group and found an interesting headline. I'm going to read this headline verbatim for you. Since World War II, history suggests 100% chance of post-midterm election rally. 100%. When do I ever get 100% anything? Never. It's amazing. Well, I... I know you were smart. You got 100% on your math tests. Well, yeah, okay, yes. Yeah. It's been a very, very long time, though. Yeah. And, and in digging deeper, I, I found in the research 18 out of 18 times the S&P was higher from the October low close, up just over 10% on average. So all the nervousness in the lead-up to the election, all the wonder if the sky was falling. Mm-hmm. No, the sky was not falling. The market actually was reverting to typical mid-year election behavior. The statistics show the average return up until a midterm election is less than a percent. But then the average return post-election is somewhere in the 10% range. So to my market timers out there, listen up. It has been proven over and over and over again that you can't time in and out of the worst days and the best days in the market. My advice has always been put together a quality portfolio, monitor that portfolio over time, rebalance where appropriate, but don't get into this game of trying to time in and out. Did a little bit more research and discovered that if you missed the best 10 days in the market, you could lose two-thirds of your return. Oh, wow. Two-thirds? Two-thirds. Yes. If you miss the 10 highest return days in the market, you could lose out on two-thirds of your return. So it goes back back to being time in the market. That's right. Get invested and stay invested. Mm. If if we looked at the time period... And and I'm going to use a 20-year time period because if we're investing, we need to be investing for long-term, not this short-term day trading idea. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about that. So if I look at the 20-year period from January 1 of 98 through the end of December 2017, so the 20 years ended last December, if you were in the market every single one of the trading days, you didn't get scared out, you had a 7.2% average return. If you started out that 20 years with 10 grand, you ended it with over 40. Hmm. You made four times the money just by staying invested. Here's a fun metric. Guess what that number is if you missed five 
of the best days. Your return went down from 7.2 to 5. Your 10,000 that had grown to Mm 40,000 only grew to 26,000. Wow. Almost half. Yeah. Miss the best 10 days. I mean, the writing's on the wall here, right? Mm -hmm. If I miss the best 10 days, my return on the S&P went from 7.2 down to 3.5. My $10,000 grew to 20. So if you lose confidence in the marketplace or anything of that nature, stay the course is what you're really saying. What I am saying is that if you have built a portfolio that matches your financial plan, that matches your risk tolerance, Mm -hmm. and is built on quality investments, you must understand that those quality investments may hit hard times. We're going if if we're market investors, we accept the reality of volatility. If we're going to be stock market investors, we know we can wake up any morning and see that our investment was worth less than it was the day before. We've got to have this long-term mindset because if I look at the return of the S&P over this 10-year period that I just charted out for you, if I look at the the, the 20-year line, it goes from a low point to a high point, but it's not a straight line. It's There's all sorts of, of up and down along that. And if I, as, a, as an investor, convince myself that I am able to save the worry of those worst days and only be in on the best days, it's an illusion. Mm-hmm. There's no algorithm that can predict that for you. There's no trading system that can predict that for you. So in the absence of a, a tried and true foolproof method to get you out of the market on the bad days, you must stay invested or you risk diluting that return significantly. And there really isn't a tried and true method to get out of the market in no. those particular places. We would be having this radio from a beach in Bora Bora <laughs> if I had figured that out. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, one of those little huts with the glass yeah, bottom. that would be awesome. It's on my bucket list. <laughs> we could probably do that. It'd be fun. So, I, But I think that, I guess that really kind of bothers me about this whole conversation is also people will realize that you have to have a solid portfolio. You have to have a financial planner to have good investments that weather these storms. Yeah, they may drop a little bit, but in general... They are a quality investment, and they'll come back. Exactly. Now, I'm going to correct one thing you said. You do not have to have a financial planner to pick quality investments. Mm. If you are someone who is experienced and comfortable and knowledgeable with picking your own investments, God bless you. Do it. But if you're not absolutely comfortable in analyzing and picking quality investments and understanding how to quantify, how to measure the risk that you're taking, absolutely get some help. Hire someone to do that analysis for you. Hire someone to show you how to put it together. Yeah, but that's not really light lifting. We're talking about very in-depth, deep analysis, understanding the company, understanding what they're worth. And if you can do it yourself, great. I'm with you. But really, that's very time consuming and you've got other things to do, right? I mean, that's what most of my clients tell me. Most of my clients tell me, you know what? Maybe I could figure this out. I have no idea how long it would take me. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how long it would take me to learn what I need to know. And then once I get it put together, how do I know when to rebalance? How do I know when to change from a U.S. focus to a foreign focus? I don't know those things. That's why they hire me. And at Rosenthal Wealth Management, you've got a team of people that are watching this on a regular basis and digging into the analysis. And we absolutely this all do. Out. We have what we call our investment policy team. The investment policy team meets once a month. It's an all-day meeting, 
and we sit down and we go through much of the data that I've been talking about today. We go go through the housing starts. We look at consumer spending. Is it up? Is it down? We look at employment. We look at wages. We look at what the Fed's doing. We put all of this together, and we make our determination of whether we're staying put or whether we've got an asset class maybe that's out of favor and we want to to offload that and bring something else in. We have an entire team. It's not just one of us. Mm-hmm. So, so, yes, that is what we do. That's part of how we help our clients implement their financial plans. Rose one two three. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more of the Larry Rosenthal Show. You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. Have you ever wanted to be part of something big? Nonprofit organization called Stars Children Africa. Do you want to be a part of something that changes a child's life? Orphans who are high school age who would not have a chance to get education otherwise. Now you can be part of something that brings hope. What we do is we actually pay for the school fees. For about the cost of a new suit, you can change an orphan's future for a whole year. We pay for the school fees, and that averages around 500 to $550 a year total. That means food, lodging, the teaching, the education part, the, the uniform, that whole thing. Call now, 703-201-2494, or go to starschildrenafrica.org. For a dollar and a half a day, one child would be educated for that year in high school. 703 703- 201-2494. Call right now. For $500 a year, you can change an orphan's life. 703-201-2494. Call right now with your questions. 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. Coast to coast from the nation's capital, this is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Give us a call right now if you'd like to talk to Dina in studio with us. She is our financial and retirement expert, sometimes known as Dinaology. Actually, most of the time we know her as that. So give us a call, 855-767-3123. have a few minutes left in the program to talk about financial management. Before I do that, I want to give a big shout-out to Lori. Lori is listening from somewhere between... Hendersonville, Tennessee, and Chattanooga, Tennessee. She's driving to see her daughter at UT Chattanooga for a parent weekend. So (laughs) shout out to Lori. Safe travels. Awesome. Awesome. All right. You know what? In the last little bit of the show, I want to talk about the, the election results and what that might mean to the markets. Because the common thought has been, okay, great. The Democrats now have the House. The Republicans have the Senate. We're in for gridlock. Could be. Well, we could be. And and the interesting thing about that is uh, when it comes to stocks, we often hear the mantra gridlock is good. It comes from the notion that that the the inability of our lawmakers and the president to accomplish anything because they can't come to compromise. It means they're not messing anything up. (laughs) 
Okay, I mean, there's much fluffier language around it if you read the articles, but but that's that's the reality. So in in stock market circles, we often hear that mantra: gridlock is good. The framers had something in mind with that when they created the Constitution and everything well, else that goes along. Well, with that, that was before the stock market, but that's my true. goodness, the wisdom was there. If I look at stock market returns, stocks have generally done quite well when there was gridlock in Washington. So if I look and I see um, I see 12 different Congresses where it was Republican House, Republican Senate. The average return on the S&P was 2.1 percent. If I have a Republican Democrat split and I've had that seven different times. I see a return of 12%. Okay, now that's an average return. Past performance is no indicator of future results. Disclaimer, disclaimer, disclaimer. Mm -hmm. But the the history suggests that this whole notion of gridlock, while it can certainly make our blood pressure rise if we're listening to talk radio, From the from the perspective of the market and what it means to our portfolios, this could actually be a really good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to tell that to a congressman that's trying to get something through Congress. But other than that, well, yeah, you know, they. I, I have to believe that for our bottom line, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I have to believe that when you know when you when you rent your apartment on Capitol Hill to go serve in the in the House or the Senate. You know it's not going to be a smooth ride. No. You, you know, I I was um, <laughs> way back in the day when I was in college, I was the student government president. Okay. And it was a real eye-opening experience because I was getting criticized at every angle, and it was so upsetting, and it was so disruptive. And my advisor pulled me aside, and he says, if you weren't doing anything, no one would criticize. Amen to that. So, you know, when you sign up for the the big student government on Capitol Hill, you know you're going to be criticized. And God bless you because you opted for that. And and you knew when you decided to go try and work for the American public that that's what it was going to be. That's what public servant means in so many words. Indeed. So don't get stressed out about your portfolio because of the potential for gridlock. That may actually serve us quite well. So, got a couple of minutes left in the show today. Just uh, want to recap. We had a had a great election um, turnout. was was much higher than in past midterm elections. There were no surprises. So we don't expect the stock market to be rocked by any political surprise uh, related to the election. The election's over, and it ended up pretty much the way we expected. Don't let gridlock mm-hmm. uh, distract you from your family financial plan. And and please, oh, please, oh, please, if you haven't done a family financial plan, now's the time to get started. We're winding up on 2018. We need to take a look at what the new tax code may do for us when we start filing our taxes in the spring. It's a great time to start thinking about that family financial plan. Give us a call. We'll send you out at no cost that uh, financial planning toolkit, and we'll get started with one of our financial planners here at Rosenthal Wealth Management Group. And don't forget that LarryRosenthal.com is the website that you can go to to find out more information about all of what we're talking about here today and to find out how you can get started with a financial plan, you can also dial this number, 855-767-3123. When we go off the air, that number is available for you in the offices. And those questions that may come up during the week, Dina will pick up the phone personally and answer them for you. 
Well, Linda will pick up and then she will send yeah. it on over to me. Well, yeah. Well, that's what I meant. You know what I meant. I, absolutely. <laughs> Before we go, one last thank you to our veterans. A big happy birthday shout out to the Marine Corps. Happy 243rd birthday. Mm-hmm. God bless everyone who has chosen to serve. Thank you for listening today. We appreciate you. Talk to you again next time on another edition of the Larry Rosenthal Show. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.